This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, what a privilege we have on this third Sunday of Lent to read from the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, one of the most magnificent passages in the Bible. The story of Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. We are all meant to identify with this woman in this archetypal encounter with Jesus. We are all in her place. We're all being drawn into the power of what Jesus offers. Let me look now just at a few highlights of this magnificent story. Please get out your Bibles today at some point and read through chapter 4 of John's Gospel to catch all the nuance and detail of this beautiful account. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Of course, nothing's accidental in John's Gospel. All the details matter. First of all, Jesus is passing through Samaria. That in itself is worthy of attention, because pious Jews at the time tended to go around Samaria. Samaria was filled with half-breeds, Jews who had, um, had intermarried with the Assyrians who had invaded the land many centuries before, and they were seen as unclean, unworthy. So very pious Jews went around Samaria when going from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. It's very important to note that Jesus doesn't go around Samaria. He goes through it. Jesus loves the unclean. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves the marginalized, the outsiders. He still passes through their country, by the way, today. And he sits down by a well. I mentioned last week how mountains are trysting places in the Bible, and that's true. It's where humanity goes up, divinity comes down, and they meet. Well, wells, wells in the Old Testament are very strongly associated with marriage. Think, for example, of Isaac and Rebekah. So Abraham sent messengers ahead, and they sit down by a well, and they spy the beautiful Rebekah, and then she becomes the wife of Isaac. Jacob meets his wife, Rachel, at a well. Moses meets his wife, Zipporah, by a well. So it's associated with uh, trysting, with uh, coming together. What's being proposed here, I'm going to argue, is a marriage between Jesus and the human race. The Samaritan woman will symbolize all of us. Jesus wants to marry us. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride, to use that imagery. We also hear it was about noon. John, uh, at key moments of the gospel, will specify the time. Nothing's accidental with him. What's happening at noon? Well, first of all, it's the hottest part of the day, and I'll get back to that. But also... It's the most brilliantly illumined time of the day, when the sun is at its height, at its zenith. Something of great importance is going to be illumined now in the course of this story. The light is on full beam. 
We hear that a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, this is a very strange thing, because in the society of his time, men and women didn't speak publicly. Jews had nothing to do with uh, Samaritans, and this was a highly unusual thing to do for a man to be this sort of frank and uh, direct with a woman. Notice, too, though, he's inviting her to be generous. Give me a drink. St. Augustine said magnificently, this is God thirsting for our faith. Yes, indeed. It's also God thirsting for our own generosity because our generosity makes us joyful. The trouble with sin in all its forms is it's a lack of generosity. So Jesus now is saying to this woman, give me a drink. Well, she reacts. How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And now that's what I was just saying. She's acknowledging how very unusual this is. Here's Jesus' answer. If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now we're getting right to the heart of it. If you knew the gift of God, isn't that wonderful? That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the gift of God. God is nothing but but a giver. He's full of grace. If you knew that, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water, especially for desert people. What a powerful symbol that was of liveliness, hope, vitality. It's a symbol here of grace. The living water of the divine life, which we lost through sin. We lost through lack of generosity. Jesus now is saying, I can give you this living water. She still balks. Are you better than our father Jacob? whose well this is. You don't even have a bucket. How can you give me living water? Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that great? Whoever drinks this water is thirsty again. Now we see how right St. Augustine was when he saw the well as symbolic of concupiscent desire. And we could say just as well today, addictive desire. We are all wired for God. We're built for God. We're ordered to God. But then we seek satisfaction of that deepest longing through worldly things, through created goods. And we become ipso facto, addicted to them. We go back to the well, don't we, of money and power and pleasure and honor every day. We drink from the well, but we get thirsty again because, see, none of that, good though it might be, but none of it is God. None of it is meant to satisfy us ultimately. The woman coming day after day in the heat of the sun drawing water painfully from this well, that's symbolic of all of us who are seeking for love in all the wrong places, as the song said, seeking for the divine life in the wrong places. What I want to give you, Jesus says, is is water that will never run out, one that will quench your thirst definitively. 
That's the divine life. That's the eternal life. See, we're meant to feel something, I think, as, as we hear this story. We are all the woman at the well. What's the well you go back to? You can name it. It's a very good Lenten exercise. Name the well you go to. You seek satisfaction again and again, but you don't find it. Hear the voice of Jesus, but I want to give you water welling up to eternal life. We're all meant to be in this conversation. Then this beautiful transition. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. The woman answers, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right in saying I do not have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. Now, a lot begins to come together. Why has this woman come at the worst time of day to draw water, and why is she alone? The custom was for women at that time to come together. It was a time of camaraderie. And to come either in the morning or in the evening when the sun wasn't so hot because it's hard work drawing water. Now we begin to see why this woman has come alone and at the worst time of the day because she's probably a woman of ill repute. She's someone who's morally suspect. She's had five husbands. The one she's living with now is not her husband. But please notice something. Jesus does not begin this conversation by raising this fact. He doesn't begin with condemnation. He begins with an alluring invitation to life. Once she's drawn in by the gracefulness of his invitation, then she's ready to hear this truth. Look at friends, we're all sinners. Maybe not in the same way this woman is, but so what? We're all sinners. What do we hear from Jesus? The invitation to life. But once we hear that invitation to share the divine life, we know that we have to change. We know that all that's opposed to the divine life in us has to go. We are then enabled, encouraged, empowered to look honestly at our sin, as she does. Any um, prospective homilists listen to me or people that that give homilies regularly? Here's a very good piece of advice, I think. You don't begin a homily with moralizing. People turn you off. You begin with the invitation of grace. And then we'll get to moral change, as, as she does here. She says, what you've said is true. So she's, she's willing to acknowledge it. And then she says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. In the beginning of the story, he was just a kind of an annoying, puzzling uh, man. How are you, a Jew, talking to me? Now she's come to a deeper perception. He's a prophet, a speaker of the divine truth. Then she moves further. Our ancestors, the Samaritans now, worshipped on this mountain. But you people say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Well, which one is it? She's kind of asking this prophet a, a teasing question. Jesus' great answer. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The days are coming when we will worship neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in spirit and truth. Worship, worship. You see, that's the central theme of the whole Bible. Sin is bad worship. I've placed something other than God at the center of my concerns. And that's why we go back to the well over and over again. 
That's why we get caught in these rhythms of addictive desire. What Jesus offers now is true worship in spirit and in truth. He wants us aligned to him. He wants our hearts and minds aligned to his heart and his mind. We'll be thereby in the stance of worship, and then the whole of our life falls into harmony. She's beginning to get this, and she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. That's great now. The Messiah is coming, the one who will tell us everything, the one who will reveal to us the great pattern. In John's Gospel, in the very beginning, we hear, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Logos, Word. You might translate that as pattern. The one who will tell us everything. She's beginning to sense this strange figure by the well might be the Messiah. And Jesus says, I am he, the one speaking with you. The Greek there is ego eimi, I am, echoing Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. God has come into the flesh, and now it's time for marriage. Now it's time for right worship. Now it's time to get your whole life ordered according to him and his purposes, and then you will find water welling up in you to eternal life. This story is about everyone listening to me. It's about everybody. How do we get our lives properly ordered? Well, we marry him. We listen to him. We drink from the living water he offers us. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers every day, everywhere.